Lord, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the privilege of, of reading and studying the very words that you have written. The, the very words that you thought were so important for us to have, that you, you put them down. And you've given us your, your revelation of yourself in your word. And you revealed us yourself first and foremost in the person of Jesus. And we, we thank you for that as well and for him and how he just shows who you are and why you came to earth uh, in the person of Christ. Lord, we thank you also for your servant, Bucky. We pray today, Lord, that you would anoint him, that he would proclaim your word, that you would just speak to him and through him this day, the very word that you have for your people during this season, the very word you have for us this very day. Uh, Lord, we just ask that you fill him with your Holy Spirit and fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might hear what you have for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, first we're reading from Exodus uh, 23, uh, verses 14 uh, to 19, the first part of 19. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread as I commanded you. And you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in, in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest, of the first fruits of your labor. Of what you sow in the field, you shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leaven, or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning." The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. And then from Leviticus 19, uh, verses 9 to 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord, your God. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Amen. Good morning. First of all, I'd like to thank Danny and the session for inviting me here today. Thank you, Danny. It's always fun to be here. Matilda and I are always grateful to be a part of the Stuart Prez family. Danny's right. Interestingly, we talked about this months ago. Um, Danny came to me and he said that he was needed someone to fill the pulpit today and he said you know I have a really smart intelligent congregation he said so I searched the whole presbytery to find the smartest brightest preacher to preach and I asked him to preach and he turned me down <laughs> so he said maybe maybe what we need is a little humor so he said I searched the whole presbytery to find the funniest wittiest preacher I could find. And he turned me down too. So I said, finally, he went back to the drawing board. Danny was telling me this. And he said, you know, I thought maybe what we need is the most handsome, debonair, charismatic preacher to preach this morning. And he searched the whole presbytery for the most charismatic guy. And guess what? He turned him down too. <laughs> so Danny said, well, maybe what we need is a little humility. So he searched the whole presbytery to find the most humble 
guy he could find to preach this morning? And I said, yes. <laughs> I couldn't turn you down four times in a row, Danny. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, that was the very first joke I told this church, this session, I mean, you guys, on August 3rd, 1997. The very first joke. Walking, I'd never met you before, hardly. Uh, does anybody remember the first sermon? I preached about owning our possessions, but not letting them own us. You'll probably remember the title when I start into it. It all goes, yes, great memory, great memory. It all goes back in the box. I thought that today, being the precursor to Thanksgiving, we might revisit that topic just a bit with a challenge to look at the margins that we set in our lives. That's the, the sermon title, I guess, if you could put it back up again. Setting margins is what this is about today. Not that one, but the other one uh, in the beginning that we just have that says, um, you know, how we set up our computer pages. Yeah, there you go, format. We format, we go to the page setup, we set our margins, and then we set them on whatever we want to set them on. So today I want to talk to you about setting margins in our lives, okay? Uh, now, Danny is going to jump into Advent next week, and I just wanted to tell you and to those who are watching out there, by the way, if you're watching today on Facebook, I'd just like to encourage you um, that this would be a great series to come, actually, in person. If you'd like, if you've never been to Stuart Press, come. This is a great place. These folks are, are loving, kind uh, Danny preaches the gospel faithfully, the truth. So if you don't have a church home and you're out there listening, this would be a great place for you. And you guys would love to have him here, right? Good. Okay. So Danny's going to preach uh, an Advent series on, uh, on and he's going to involve ugly sweaters, okay? And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go ahead and say this. I will let Matilda have permission. I still have those sweaters. They are still in my closet. The ones that I went back to my friend's closet whenever she would sell them every year and I bought them back. Okay, so I still have them in the closet, and I'm going to give you permission, Matilda, to sell my sweaters finally, and I'm not going to buy them back. So if you want to wear a Bucky Ugly sweater, there are plenty of them, by the way. The arms go all the way down to like here, so feel free to do it. I, I'm excited about the Advent series, okay? I, and when I think of Advent, I'm constantly drawn back to something C.S. Lewis said when he wrote his children's series, The Chronicles of Narnia. There came a time when one of the characters in that series says, in my world, it's always winter, but never what? Christmas. Remember that? It's always winter, but never Christmas. You see, Lewis hoped that the reader would relate this declaration to our world, to our time. And I think Lewis was spot on in his assessment of the human predicament here. We live in a world where the majority of people, for them, it's always winter, but never Christmas. So, sadly, very few are going to admit this truth. Instead, we just go on living our lives as if the true spirit of Christmas was celebrated everywhere, in every person, everywhere in the world. So I look forward, Danny, to your series, okay, uh, as you attempt to dismantle the totally false view that the world holds about the reality of Christmas, and I know you'll do a good job with it, and the new picture that you're going to paint that's really closer to the true spirit of what Christmas is about, that challenges us as devoted Christ followers, okay, who live in this world today to live out that spirit of Christmas. And I would like to also challenge you to bring your family and friends 
to this series because I know it's going to be a blessing. And for those of you out there watching, if you haven't ever been here before, come during Christmas. It's fun. All right? Okay. So you might wonder why I'm preaching this today. So, you know, what about today? What about Thanksgiving? You know, for many people in our American culture, Thanksgiving has almost become a forgotten holiday. I mean, it really has. Let's just be honest. It's a day each year that we try to get beyond. We love it. We eat and everything. But we try to get beyond it so that we can get on to what? Yeah, Christmas, right? The, you know, all the gifts, all the stuff, you know, the Christmas time. Uh, the National Festival of Thanksgiving has been so manipulated, I think, by the commercialization of our culture that in our society today, the real holiday has nearly become extinct or at least almost completely unrecognizable when we compare it to its original intention. You know, again, you might wonder why I'm wasting my time talking about a secular holiday, which in a way it is for most of the culture, uh, but I think it's really important because when we look at the Bible and the, what the Word of God tells us, you're gonna see that this is important to God. And I believe in my heart that God wants his people to celebrate festivals at certain times of the year for specific reasons. I really believe that. And I think those reasons are going to become evident as we spend a little bit more time in the Word this morning looking at two of those festivals in the Scripture, uh, the Festival of the Harvest and the Festival of the End Gathering. But before we do that, would you please pray with me? Let's ask God to speak to our hearts through his Word by the power of his Holy Spirit today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you also for the privilege of gathering together. We pray, Lord, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, today, your word would transform us. You would change us. None of us would leave here the same way we came in. And that that true spirit of Christmas, that one that you were preparing Danny's heart to preach about, will start to invade our lives. Open our hearts, Lord. Change us we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get back to the scripture here. If you got your Bibles in front of you, look at them yourself, you know, or if it's on the screen, look at it. Uh, let's go back to the Exodus passage real quick. Listen to the word of the Lord. Three times a year, you are to celebrate a festival to me. Celebrate the feast of unleavened bread for seven days. Eat bread made without yeast as I command you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv, for in that month you came out of Egypt. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. Celebrate the feast of harvest with the first fruit of the crops you sow in the field. Celebrate the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather your crops from the field. Three times a year, all the men are to appear before the sovereign Lord. Now, from our passage this morning, I think some things are pretty obvious, okay? For one thing, God commanded the people of Israel to celebrate three national festivals each year. Unleavened bread, harvest, and the end gathering. Why do you think he did this? I, I think he did it for several reasons. First, because the festivals span the calendar year. They served as a periodic reminder to the people of God of God's love for them, okay, on the one hand and what God expects from them on the other. His love on the one hand, his expectation on the other. You see, notice that each festival is tied to something God did for them. For example, the unleavened bread reminded the people that God brought them out of bondage, out of slavery, and gave them the promised land. 
The harvest and the gathering feast reminded them that God blessed them with the provision that they needed to survive and prosper in that land. Now, each of these, the redemption from bondage and the blessing of provision, shows dramatically how God loves his people, doesn't it? Think about it. Now, second, these festivals were directly tied to allowing the opportunity for people to make sacrifices to atone for their sins. So it meant that at least three times of year, every person in Israel had to gather together as a people of God and confess their sins corporately and renew their relationship with him. So we see that these festivals served as a time of both relationship renewal and relationship building with God himself. So we see that these festivals served as a very important thing. Now third, because they had to do it together, these festivals tended to bring unity to a very diverse group of people, okay? At least three times a year, they had to rub shoulders with each other, kind of like we do every Sunday in church, right? They had to be reminded that God is the God of the rich and the poor alike, the powerful and the weak, the leaders and the followers. At least three times a year, everyone stood equal before the Lord, and regardless of an individual's position in life, they were called to celebrate their relationship with God together. Now, for verse 17 tells us that they were to, notice it says, appear before the Lord, which means that these festivals were times when everyone knew they were going to be held accountable for the things they did. That's what that means, to appear before the Lord. They knew that standing in the presence of the true king of the universe, who sees and knows all things, came with both privilege and responsibility. And when a person accepts both of these and knows that at least three times a year, God's going to hold them accountable for these things that they do. Believe me, folks, that has a definite impact on us, doesn't it? When we know God is watching us, he knows what we do, he knows what we don't do. And he's going to hold us accountable at three divine appointments every year. Fifth, look at the last part of verse 15 with me, okay? Please read it with me, actually. No one is to appear before the Lord what? Let's say that again. No one is to appear before the Lord. Yeah, and, you, and he can keep saying amen all he wants. I like amens, okay? In other words, everyone is to bring something to give to God, something to lay on the altar. Why do you think that God did this? I think that the reason God did this was so that all the people would have to stop and consider two things. One, the blessings they received, and two, the true source of those blessings. If you cannot come to the festival empty-handed, and you have to come, then it's reasonable to assume that every person had to take an assessment of how God had blessed them and then be willing to give something back to him as a means of expressing that thankfulness to him for his provision, right? What he did for them. Now, before we move on to the next passage, I want you to notice something that I think is very crucial. Two of the three festivals are centered around the harvest time in Israel, aren't they? Okay? In fact, in some places in the Bible, these festivals are directly tied to the harvest. Now, we have to remember 
that the harvest in Israel was a bit different from ours because the grain harvest began in early June and after that there was the various fruits and the vegetables and it continued on to the last harvest season ending with the gathering of the olives in the late fall or about the middle of November. This is significant for us to see and understand today because I believe that God has some very distinct things to say to us about the harvest. And if we are willing to listen with our hearts and allow him to soften our hearts, I believe God can change our lives today, forever. You, me, we can walk out of here a little bit different. Now, in both the Old and New Testaments, often when the Bible talks about the harvest, we see that special attention is given to the poor or to those less fortunate to us. So especially at this time of our national celebration, Thanksgiving, I think it's really appropriate to ask, what does the harvest have to do with the poor and with us, you and me? And this is where our second passage comes into play and is extremely important. If you would please turn with that in your Bibles to Leviticus and let's look at this. Listen to the word of the Lord. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. I picked this passage this morning because I believe that it gives a window into the heart of God that shows us a picture of the way God sees both our responsibility to him and our responsibility to those who are less fortunate than us. You see, the harvest of the grains coincides with the festival of harvest, and the harvest of the olives coincides with the festival of ingathering. It's not a coincidence that both of these things, the grains and the olives, were the very staples of survival in Israel at this time. The grain provided the bread that was the major food source for the people, and the olives provided the oil, which was their only source of cooking and fuel. Both of these things were central, and they were critical to the life of the people. Very few people could even imagine life without these things who lived then. So in some ways, they became synonymous with life itself. These two festivals were times when the people were to take the best of the most important things they had and to offer them to the Lord in both obedience to his commands to do so and in thanksgiving, think about it, for what he had done for them. Now I want to ask you a question. Who got the first fruits of the harvest? You, that's easy to say that, isn't it? God, okay? Because that's that kind of, that stumped me too. Because that's the natural response, but that's not really true. Let me ask you another question. If God declared that certain parts of the field and the trees were off limits for harvesting and to be left for those less fortunate, not even to be touched, who really got the first fruits of the harvest? Say it poor, those less fortunate. You see, God didn't demand the first part of the things that we picked because he was hungry or because he needed that oil, right? He did it because he wanted the people to put these things in proper perspective and never forget both the blessings and the true source of those blessings. 
but by demanding that they set aside a part of their harvest from the very beginning for those who are less fortunate, God is also making a statement here about what he thinks about those people, the poor, the less fortunate, those who live on the margins of life. He's saying that they have value to him, folks. So much so that he's willing to give over the very first fruits of what's his to them. Now, let's put this in perspective. God gives us the opportunity to feast together for these reasons. I'm going to lay them out for you. If you want to write them down, good luck, because I'm going to go fast. One, to remember what he has done for us, his redemption and his provision in our lives. Two, to remember that we have the privilege and the responsibility to assemble before him. Three, to remember our sinfulness and our need for something that only he can give, folks. Forgiveness of our sins and restoration of our lives, that's only something he can do. Four, to remember that we are to live in unity with one another regardless of our places in life. We all stand the same before God. Four, five, I mean, uh, to remember that along with the privilege of being allowed to come into the presence of the very king of the universe, we also have a responsibility to live our lives in a manner that's worthy of that king every day. And six, to remind us that we are not to come into his presence empty-handed, but we are to be willing to give the best of the best we have to him, starting with our willingness to set aside the best of the best for who? Help me. The poor. Not because I say it, but because he says it. Not because I will it, but because he wills it. Now, I'm not going to try to pretend to tell you what that means for you, each of you today, or us, because not all of us raise grain. It's kind of hard to take that leap sometimes and think about it. We don't grow olives. However, I want you to hear this. God has given each of us a field to invest our energies in, hasn't he? Our lives. Think of your life, what you do with your hands and your energies. That's a field, folks. And he's also given you that to harvest. And in the midst of that harvest, God is not only calling us to do all of these things we spoke of, but he's also holding us accountable for these individual harvests, starting with what we set aside for those we're less fortunate in that harvest field. Uh, would you put up the next slide, John? Yes. This is my challenge for us, not just you. Matilda and I have talked about this. We're going to take this challenge on too. I'm, I'm challenging you to reformat your lives in 2023 and look at your margins. Where have you set your margin in life? Have you set it wide, narrow, non-existent? Because I'm going to be honest, the temptation for most of us is to, is to consume up to the edge of our margin, isn't it? On ourselves. It's selfishly to do that. I do it. We all do it. But that's not what God says do. Now, some of us, we, we might set aside that edge of the margin, but we're so picky about who we lit on our, on our field, you know? Like, I don't want those people on my field. That we're willing to set aside it, but we'll just let the stuff fall to the ground and rot rather than them get it. Because we don't want them in our world. How crazy. So, anyway, I'm asking you this year to look at your margins 
And even around, folks, you, you families, when you meet for Thanksgiving, why don't you as parents, with your children, this is a great teaching time, talk about what you intend, how you intend to set up your margins for 2023 as a family. What you're willing to sacrifice and where you're willing to set those margins to love those less fortunate and practically show them the gospel through your kindness. Anyway, now let me just also throw one other little thing in here that was not beyond my notice that sometimes is very difficult. I want you to notice that, that God still held them accountable for the tithe, didn't he? Bringing in the first fruits of that which was within their margin. He still said, I want you to bring that to me. So this goes over and above tithe. This is actual sacrificial giving, folks. Now, here's the real kicker here. And this is where I think we should all be encouraged. I want you to look at verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 4 in Deuteronomy. I want you to read this with me and listen to what God promises us, okay? You too, Beth. I see you moving. All right, listen to the word of the Lord. However, there should be no poor among you. Did you hear that? For in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. Folks, if we would only bless others the way God has blessed us, if we would only set our margins in a way that God tells us to do that, he declares there should be no what? No poor among you. Now, I don't know where this hits you, but just let me just lay this out to you, these questions. What is your harvest field? Where have you set your margins in life? Are you setting them selfishly to the very edge and consuming everything that you get? What is God asking you, us, me, Matilda, our family? What is he asking us to set aside in the edges of our fields for the less fortunate? I challenge us to think about that this next week as we celebrate the festival of Thanksgiving, which is so fun. It's going to be great. My whole family's coming in, which, as you know, the Hunsicker's put the funk and dysfunctional, so it should be interesting, okay? So we'll be here for a whole week together, but we're going to talk about this. And while it may be too late for 2022, because it's almost gone, it's not too late for 2023 for us to do that together. What will we do to honor God for the way he's blessed us? Think about that this week. Let's pray. Father, we give you honor and glory. We thank you that you love us beyond measure. You've proven it. And Lord, you've given us every opportunity to, to express that back to you in wonderful ways. So this year, as we think about the fact that you gave everything to us in Jesus, the whole ball of wax, you gave it unconditionally. You've called us to give also. Help us, Lord, to set aside our own selfishness, look at our fields, wherever they may be, whatever that is, and set aside the edges of those fields for those less fortunate. Because, Lord, in doing so, they will practically see the truth of the gospel, and they will want to know more about you. We give you honor and glory we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Bucky asked me to share the benediction, and as 
As I was listening to him preach, uh, this passage in Colossians 2 came to mind. Uh, so let me just give this as the, as the benediction, read it for you. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. To God be the glory. Amen.